Well, hey, folks, welcome to the latest episode of the Lions Experimental Podcast. Apologies for this one coming out late. We had a problem just getting our schedules aligned today. Uh, but Jen and I do walk you through the latest about uh, David Johnston. And if we'd actually recorded this when we planned to, we would have missed the latest breaking news on that front. We talk about whether or not there's a moral obligation to vote. We talk about some Toronto municipal stuff, but with obviously a, a broader look at a lot of the big issues out there. And Jen walks us through some of the new data that helps understand what happened in Alberta on their election night this past Monday. All this and more in the latest episode of the Lines Experimental Podcast. Jen Gerson, the week after, well, not even the week after, the, the week of the election, but it's way at the end of it. I wanted to start talking with you about the Alberta election, but I actually think we have to start with just what broke in the last couple of uh, hours. Um, <laughs> so the funny thing is, we actually had to delay recording this. We were planning on recording this hours ago, but mm -hmm. then uh, I had a few things pop up. So I and then I had a few things pop up, and then exactly. I basically fell asleep at like noon and crashed for three hours straight. And I had one of those series of dreams. I don't know if you've had this, where you wake up in the dream. And you're like, oh, I'm in my bed and I'm awake now. I should probably get up, but I'm too tired. And then you fall back asleep and then you actually wake up and you realize that you're waking up in the dream was actually still a dream. I have what I un understand is an unusual degree of consciousness while sleeping. Mm -hmm. um, you're a lucid dreamer. Not always lucid dreamer per se, so much as I'll be like, well, this is an amusing dream and I'm going to just sit back and enjoy it. I don't know if I can change the trajectory of it, but I'm often aware mm -hmm. while I'm mm -hmm. dreaming that I'm dreaming. Mm -hmm. um, so what broke in the last couple of hours, and we would have missed it if we had actually recorded this thing when we intended to, is that David Johnston, the uh, independent special rapporteur, mm -hmm. has retained Navigator, which is a Toronto-based... Um, <laughs> I don't even know exactly how to describe Price's it. Crisis PR firm, but it's also a yeah. PR firm. It's 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 a it's a, uh, it's a full service shop essentially. Yeah, it's, shop. it's it's a it's but it also yeah okay it's a full service comms and and publicity shop with a special expertise in handling catastrophes. Um, yeah, like, and, and and basically you can't be a good Canadian scandal unless you've hired Navigator at this point. Like, oh, we've got Navigator Canadian, now. It's Canadian scandal bingo. David Johnston is We've got the bingo. We've got the bingo. We've got probably... the Supreme Court. We've got the retired Supreme Court justice yeah. weighing in. We've got the eminent reporter weighing in. And now we've got Navigator. Navigator. We've, got, we've got the bingo, baby. I was going to say probably we need to throw in a Quebec outraged angle. But David Johnston sort of having to answer some of the questions in English because his French wasn't strong enough. Maybe that kind of gives us a token ticking of the box. You know what? I'll say this. I am still less freaked out by David Johnston's um, role in this, and I think a lot of my peers are. But at a certain point, someone's got to tell him you're too radioactive to do this. And I know, I know that one that of the point, that point was when Parliament literally voted to kick him out of his job. Kick him out because I yeah. think that that's the purpose of your job is now null and void if Parliament has voted against. Him. Yeah, no, I know. It's, it's done now. And I know the counter argument. And I and I I get it. Like there's a degree of I don't know if I want to call it moral hazard or reinforcing bad or rewarding bad behavior, but there is there is an argument to be made that no one is going to be satisfactory here and that the conservatives will just dig in and fight on anyone here. I think that could actually be true. 
But if they try it again, they're going to look like morons doing it the second time. There was enough on Johnston that the conservatives were able to, to get some actual hits. And if they hadn't, Johnston would not have been so pissy in his first well, press conference and he would not be retaining this is, Navigator. This is, this is messed up priorities. The purpose of the exercise is not to placate the conservatives. The purpose of the exercise is to get to the truth of the situation. Ultimately, yeah. who cares whether or not the conservatives dig in or continue to oppose it? That That's their job, their opposition. They're doing their job. I think the you're wrong, of, actually. The purpose of the exercise, if you are in government, is to get to the bottom of the issue and get to the truth of the issue and to to and to and uh, make public as much of that as you as you as is humanly possible to allow the, the, the Canadian electorate to decide. Sort of. I think you're missing the element that there should actually be some element of this that is also a unifying thing. Not like a touchy-feely, let's all talk on Oprah's couch unifying thing, but like a consensus report well a report okay, that could build consensus but no no but the, think... pro the, pro the problem is is that you're 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 taking a liberal talking point and you're allowing it to frame your thinking on this issue if the purpose of this of this issue is oh well we are going to go through this process and if there's no point going through a, a transparency or accountability process because nothing we do will ever please the conservatives then you've given yourself an out there's there's no point in ever going through a transparency or accountability process anyway, um, uh, under any circumstance. And you can always pin the blame on that for the disingenuousness of the conservatives. No, the, the, I, don't, I think you're wrong. I the, think, the, 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 you, I think the, you do it anyway. Yet, no, yeah, exactly. You do it, you anyway, do it anyway because anyway. Your, du your duty is actually to the Canadian public and to the truth of the Canadian public's right to know. And if the conservatives aren't placated by that, fine. So what? Who gives a shit? Um, ultimately, your duty is to the public. Yeah, sort of. I, I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong, but I, I also think you've you've leapt to concluding what I was actually about to say. Well, I'm a I, little bit excitable at the moment. I just came off an election map. I think you do. I think you do it anyway. But I think you have a stronger case the second time you do it. We're like, OK, conservatives, the first guy wasn't good enough. Here's the second guy. What are you going to hate this guy for? Part of this process has to be doing it in a way where the public can have reasonable confidence in the outcome is it can't it like you that, cannot no, no. just go yolo you, it's a shit show but who cares no no but you can't hire a special reporter you can't go through this process again because your credibility was shot with the first one the only path forward is the public here is inquiry a, is the public inquiry yep or you have to just choose to shut it down and say what are you going to do ndp call a confidence motion yeah like, that's, but even that's the public inquiry has someone at the head of it and the question yes, that would be, yes. would the conservatives also hate that person? Well, then because... that way you need to actually work with, it's it's called working with the conservatives and working with the opposition to find an appropriate judge or, or person to, to have helm that inquiry and to and yeah. to announce them ideally in, in tandem. Because Well, especially in a minority parliament, but I'm not convinced yes. the conservatives want to play ball with this. I think the conservatives quite like the status quo. Maybe not they do. I'm not convinced that, the conservatives that, but, want a public inquiry. I think the they like being able to the, demand one every day. Fair enough, but the conservatives are not in government. They're not the ones ultimately accountable for what's going on in government. So I, I, I refuse to shift blame shift, as the liberals often do. I refuse to blame shift lack of accountability measures onto the people who aren't actually in power. Um, the people in power here are the liberals. Their duty is to the public and to us in the public. We have a right to know what the hell is going on, and they have the right to, to provide that information in good faith, regardless of whether or not the conservatives are assholes. Yeah, that's true. But the problem is I'm not convinced that the parliament, which is also part of the government, which is also part of this process, is not going to be completely obstructionist. I just don't have any faith in any of them to pull this off. POEC well, was an interesting saw, we, example we, we because saw, it did, we worked saw fairly well. They are. Yes. 
poet would demonstrate to us that there is value in, 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 the, in, the, in the public inquiry. And I can't remember who made this point. Maybe it was you. But essentially, um, all of the information and data we're getting at getting right now that demonstrates the sheer dysfunction of, of the government suggests to us that more public inquiries are required and not fewer. Oh, God, we should we should be having five public inquiries a year for the next 10 years. 100%, on everything. Yes, because that's the only way we're going to get to the bottom of what the hell is going on in our government. And bluntly, yep. we pay these fuckers. We've got the right to know. Uh, well, they would they would say we don't. Of, yeah, well, fuck them. Anyway, I'm in a mood today. Um, uh, that's not that unusual. Um, no, it's not. I think the other the other fun thing about Johnston this week, and I I mean to, to, to conclude the thought, Johnston I think has to realize at this point he's radioactive. I don't when you're hiring Navy Navigator. It's time to go. Yeah, but I, 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 I don't think that's necessarily a reflection on him. I don't know if anyone would have been good enough to do this job short of like Stephen Harper himself. I think that that is 100 percent a reflection on him, his decision to take the job and his handling of this entire inquiry. I think he handled the inquiry, the inquiry Badly. poorly. Uh, I think the investigation yep. was lacking, and I, then I think his demand to trust me in the end was was utterly tone deaf and actually mm-hmm. not in keeping with his with his with I don't know some basic concepts of government and civil service. So no, sorry, brought this all on himself. Um, and the fact uh, that Nav- I think that, I that said the, you... tax, the taxpayer is putting the bill for that for the navigator PR help is just yeah. the icing on the goddamn cake of this. Well, it's like I said, shit um... sandwich. Like I said to you last week, Johnston, I don't think, understood what he was walking into. Like, I think that is visibly a man out of step with the tenor of the times. Um, Did you read Shannon Proudfoot this week in The Globe? Uh, I kind of skimmed it, but I didn't get into it. I thought it was excellent. What what did she write again? I forget. Um, Just as kind of as someone who who has not come up and is not conversant in in like Laurentian-isms, that like watching David Johnston's reaction to this was kind of like, does he think it's normal that Canadians just sort of share their cottage time with past <laughs> and future prime ministers? And I, I think like, and I, I thought, I thought it, Shannon's piece was so bang on. First of all, because something you and I have said a billion times here in different contexts is um, that uh, there's a, a segment of the Canadian elite that is not keeping up with developments that is not has not read the winds as things have been changing lately and i think shannon's a very good entry in that yeah but i also look at someone like andrew coyne it's not like andrew coyne wasn't saying before the inquiry johnston you're not the appropriate person for this role andrew coyne is about as laurentian consensus as it gets here man so i don't really give him that much credit for just being out of step like it's not like he was only getting feedback from the crazies out west like i i i think johnson's in his 80s and coin is not and i think that explains a lot at a certain point 70s for me point in his 70s no and he's probably gonna hunt you down and find (laughs) you for saying that i don't recall how old he is but it's nowhere near that um he's not young (laughs) no but i mean there's there's a difference between like adult and octogenarian and there's a, a time where I just don't think Johnston was, he shouldn't have taken the job. I agree with that entirely, but I've been kind of wincing a little bit watching him do that. There's an old kids in the hall clip or it's uh, an old like um, skit, which is like a guy just completely getting his ass kicked in a bar fight. And like, everybody's telling him like, stay down, 
stay down like if that's and the idea of the clip of course that he doesn't and he just repeatedly gets his ass kicked i was thinking of that this week looking at johnson just get punched in the face like it's like dude like back out like just put out a statement go it's become clear to me that i will not be able to fulfill my role blah 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 get the hell out just throw this grenade back at the prime minister make this his decision again he's not doing it shannon's column which i would recommend everybody read was a really first of all it was incisive but it was also funny like it was just a skewering mm. of a do these people think this is normal and I, I may not be as laurentian as as david johnson or perhaps even andy coin but i'm laurentian enough that when john's i told you this in our podcast last week when he was doing his press conference i was like mm, you're 30 percent oh. laurentian consensus monster which puts you in a different perspective on some of this stuff it to me i what he was doing was familiar enough that I could recognize it, but at least, at well, I wouldn't do it. Now, maybe by the time I'm 81, I would. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think people get fossilized, like, in, in their old age, right? Like, it, they, mm -hmm. it's harder for them to see certain things. Um, but it wasn't, like, I wasn't viewing it as far on the outside as Shannon was. I was viewing it enough of the inside to kind of, it's gonna sound terrible, but like I remember being at a really fancy restaurant once, and there was someone there who had a lot of money, and he was being terrible to the waiter, and it pissed me off because it was just this idea of this person does not have a billionth of your social capital and wealth, and you will treat them with manners. Yes, but they just didn't get it. And David Johnston telling Canadians to to just trust him read to me a little bit as not being like not berating the waiter but just not thanking them it's just taking their hard work for granted like there has to be a degree of awareness and goodwill that goes along with all the perks and i i, I don't think johnston has demonstrated that in recent weeks i you know what i'm with you though i think by the time you've brought in navigator we're like has navigator actually successfully ever gotten anyone out of a problem you know, I think that if they had, we probably it was the type of problem that you and I have never heard about, and that was their duty, and that was their job, and they yeah. did it. The the the, yeah. the problem. I'm not gonna. I can't. I can't comment on Navigator's record because I mean, we we only really pay we attention. We only know to about it. the public stuff. Yeah, we only know about the public stuff. We only pay attention really to the outliers. Well, it's um, like the spies say, right? You never know about the attacks we prevent. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I I can't speak speak to Navigator's capacity or or talent at all. I mean, I, yeah. that's funny. I mean, they must be good at what they do. They're still around. They're still kicking around. Um, but it does seem that by the time it is news that you've hired Navigator, <laughs> Navigator can no longer help you. <laughs> I think that that's it. Like, if you could still keep the fact that you've hired Navigator on the down low, you're probably fine. But yeah. the second like a, a headline comes out that says Jen Gerson has hired crisis communications firm navigator, you know I'm fucked. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. I, I think you're right about that. Um, and this is the moment when Macaroni's like, "I've had a long and fruitful relation, business relationship with Jen Gerson for many years, but upon re uh, reading these these latest Twitter comments, we've decided to part part, part ways amicably. <laughs> I wish her all the best <laughs> in her future." Yeah. Um. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, but I, I'm also, I mean, taxpayers are on the hook for this, which means we have a right to know some. Yes. I mean, well, it's Canada. There's a total transparency void. We have the right to know nothing. 
Um, do you want to talk about Alberta? And I know like the election's days behind us, and I know you've already written your column for the line this week about that, but there actually was some data trickling out near the end of this week uh, that I don't fully understand. You kind of told me the top level findings of this. What was the data coming out later this week that you thought was interesting uh, about the Alberta election? Okay, well, speaking of Navigator, I happened to do a panel this morning. Um, it was just a, 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 a expert panel. I mean, I basically never say no to these things, right? So uh, they had like a morning panel where they uh, did some uh, research and then released it. And then they got me and Deb Yedlin essentially to comment on the research. And really, really interesting research. There have been a couple other um, post-election polls to come out that, that, that track sort of public sentiment as well. I think Greg Lyle did some as well. So I'd like to just sort of sum these up because some of them are really fascinating. They basically found that... Um, uh, how should I say this? I think the UCP got a little over 50% of the popular vote. But yeah, no, it had outright majority support. I checked outright, that. Outright majority support. But post-election, it looks like actual satisfaction in the outcome of the election is less than 40%, which means they essentially lost. Like, like so 20% of their voters aren't happy they won. Yeah, pretty much. Um, uh, uh it looks to me like also Danielle Smith is not popular. She's her party is much more popular than she is. Um, the opposite of is strongly still strongly true of of, of Notley. Notley herself is very popular. The NDP is wildly unpopular. Uh, hmm. There's a lot of concern in Alberta that a lot of the uh, more ideological pet, pet pet projects of the conservative parties right now, for example. Uh, creating an Alberta RCMP or creating an Alberta CPP, which all go back to the firewall letter and the yep. fair, fair deal panel and the whole deal. This stuff is huge in conservative circles and it's just totally not a priority for most Albertans. Like it's it's single digit priority for the vast majority of Albertans. So there's a real sense that there's a disconnect between the priorities of the incoming government and the priorities of what Albertans give a shit about. Albertans give a shit about healthcare situation, affordability issues, economic issues the same as the rest of canada is basically like nobody gives a fuck about your little firewall letter like nobody gives a shit about stuff like that but there's a real concern that that's the stuff that the conservatives are going to focus on um all of this sets daniel up for a very bad time either in caucus or in her party because it means that there's going to be a significant split of opinion and views about what the priorities of the government should be between her caucus, between her party, and between the electorate writ large. The closer you get to the, the Danielle land, the more conservative, ideologically conservative it is, and the further away you get from that land, it gets less ideologically conservative. Um, that doesn't, this is not an, an, an unbridgeable gap, but it's a problem. Most Albertans actually, funnily enough, aren't interested in a fight with Ottawa right now. There's, there's no appetite for that at the moment. Um, however, a fight with Ottawa is one of the ways which conservative leaders have traditionally managed to galvanize um, a, a, a fighting bitchy caucus sure. and electorate. So we'll see how it, this might be a moment when if Trudeau hands Danielle a gift, she will hand the hand Alberta, sorry, if Trudeau hands Alberta, you know, an emissions cap or some ridiculous thing on that gas as we're kind of expecting him to do. That will be a gift for Danielle because that will galvanize um, the electorate and her caucus behind her in a really significant yeah. way. But right now, Alberta has no interest in this. Like it's just not there. It's not on. It's not on the radar. And then the other interesting thing that came out of this data was the fact that um, they've been navigators been tracking UCP dissenters. 
So these are people who voted UCP in the last election, but weren't planning on voting UCP in this election. Mm -hmm. And last fall, that was about 18% of the overall population. They that would have been the Kenny election, right? So 18% yeah, of the right. people who voted for Kenny were not planning on voting UCP this time. Or were, were wary sort of thing. Okay. And that was basically their, their center group, which they had subgrouped within their, their data research. And they found that by the time we got to the election, 9% of those people, about half those dissenters came home to the UCP. Well, the other half okay. probably didn't didn't vote or or they just you know disappeared or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then the... NDP managed to gain as as good an outcome as it did, not by convincing those UCP defense dissenters, but rather by cannibalizing the centrist Alberta Party and Liberal Party, which don't exist as entities and haven't for years. But essentially, they they took the last uh, um, pretend support that those groups had and brought them into the um, uh, they brought them into the 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 NDP fold. Mm -hmm. So what that tells me is that the actual number of centrists in Alberta is not actually that high, which is interesting to me because if you asked Albertans themselves to track where they sit on a scale of one to 10 between left and right, you'll get a very standard distribution. Most people on average peg themselves a five. They say, I'm a centrist. Hmm. But if you're pegging a centrist by how they actually vote and behave at the voters booth, the number is probably closer to 20%. Well, I which mean, is that not... kind of explains what the first thing you noted, right? That no one's <laughs> happy with the result because you yeah. might actually have a large number of centrists reluctantly parking their vote with one or another that they don't like and in a two-party and in a two-party system essentially what that suggests is that frankly there aren't enough actual voting centrists to create an independent party it's not there but yeah. that 20 percent is going to decide the fit that will decide whether or not the future minority majorities go to the ucp or the ndp and then they're going to hate it either way and that, for say, that's what it being a centrist is. That's what democracy is. It's just making sure that everybody has their equal share of misery. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that data. It's worth, and it, it's interesting. It's worth a wrap, wrap up. There's also some really interesting data um, coming out from um, about how NDP support NDP supporters are going to manage um, Rachel Notley because, of course, this is now second unsuccessful election yeah. in a row. Um, there's no nobody stacked up to replace her. But essentially, the NDP, if they don't start thinking about succession planning and future forward planning, they risk turning Rachel Notley into another Elizabeth May, right? Where this is just the Elizabeth May party. This yeah, is just she runs Elizabeth. in every election and she, she loses, runs in the but election she just always has a job. But she always has a job, but everybody really likes her. You know, she gets on the cover of McLean's all the time, you know, mm -hmm. but I mean, she can't win. Like that becomes yeah, and the, she the... goes on all the panels and yeah, yeah, wins yeah. parliament during of the year over and over. And, yeah. it, and, it, and it becomes, you know, a personality cult around her, right? So this is the this is what kind of some of the interesting data that's come out. I think it's maybe worth parsing a little bit. I don't want to get into it. I don't want to write another column on it. But it's worth, I think, that the the, the smattering of post-election polling is, has actually been really interesting to watch. But anyway, that's just me rambling about wonky nerd stuff. On, I mean, on the um, the Alberta election front, I, um, as an editor, you know, it's funny to see people think the line is a right-leaning publication you and i are right-leaning but we're actually pretty open-minded to taking arguments from anywhere um yeah. as long as they're good and i don't feel the need as an editor to put my thumb down on the scale and yeah. this week i we we ran uh well late last week we ran uh ken bosenkool on why he wouldn't vote and then earlier this week we ran on election day itself uh sabrina mcpherson rebutting ken and making the argument of why uh you should vote and I just, I, I kind of read both of them and I was like, okay, you know, 
these are what these people think. And I, I didn't have any strong feelings about them either way beyond thinking, okay, like these are interesting essays and I think people will enjoy them. And what surprised me was that I think Sabrina, just looking at the reaction, including um, replies we as the, the editors get, uh, looking at the emails we get, I think Sabrina had by far the more popular take, kind of a defense of the civic duty of voting. And it just struck me as interesting, because even though I said a minute ago I didn't have strong feelings about this, if I was to pick, I would come down strongly on Ken's side. And I think Sabrina had the more persuasive rhetoric. Yeah, but I think I don't know if Ken needs persuasive rhetoric, right? Because the like Sabrina did make a wonderful case, very well written, very persuasive, and I can understand why people agreed with it. Made the argument that like your vote is your investment in in our civic society, right? Like, and I and I get that. Um, well, and I also think she made the argument that you have an obligation to vote for what you believe to be the least bad choice, because it's not just about you and your feelings; it's about what serves your community as a whole. I thought that was a persuasive point. Yeah, but that's the point I disagree with. No, I as a citizen, my vote is precious, and I will not put it to something that I do not endorse, and I will not okay. I will not endorse least bad. Um, I, in order for me to take my, my vote and park it with someone, I have to believe in them. I have to believe, and I don't necessarily mean that in some West Wing way, right? But I actually have to think that this person and the party that, that they are running with will do good things. And I, I cannot, in good conscience, I have never been able to vote strategically. I just can't. And like this might be some weird finicky failure of buying, arguably, I don't know. But parking my vote with the least bad option? No, the hell with you. I will not endorse least bad. I will I will be a precious little little princess and I will stay home and I will withhold my vote from you. Now I've never skipped voting. I have always shown up. I have always because I because I think like y you have to do your civic duty and like I, I will get dressed, I will take my voter card, I will go to the ballot station, I will get my ballot, and I will doodle a starship on it, and then I'll cram the thing into a box. But if I don't like you, I'm not voting for you. And but the end result of that at the collective level is that you're sticking yourself with often the more bad option, which is worse for your community as a whole. Yeah, but then choices. Yeah, maybe, but then I'm not part of it. Like I haven't done my part for it. No, but not not choosing is also a choice. Yeah, it is, and I'm choosing to not endorse shit. But that doesn't necessarily in, uh, incentivize better candidates in the future, so it doesn't actually improve anything. And in the no, meantime, it you're probably it probably makes the, it worse. It probably makes it worse, and then Keeps in the my meantime, hands clean, though. yeah. But I mean, essentially, this comes down to the question of. To, what do you as an individual owe your own integrity versus your the the owe your society as a whole? What good am I to society without integrity? Well, you can have the integrity of knowing that you didn't saddle your society with the, with with a worse option, the worst option. One of the the interesting wrinkles to this debate is I think it depends what is going to happen in your writing, and mm -hmm. I have oh, never totally. lived in a competitive writing. Yeah, and I, I I have actually lived in writings that have changed but it's never been like a squeaker like the writings mm. i've lived in when they change it's a stampede mm -hmm. it is a throw the bums out stampede where there's like a twelve thousand vote swing from liberal to conservative and then the conservatives hold it for a few terms and then boom the liberals are back in 
I wonder, I honestly wonder how I would feel in a situation. Oh, I mean, I also live in Toronto, right? Where up until mm-hmm. his recent flame out, where John Tory was just like crushing every election. Mm-hmm. And my municipal council, uh, councillor, who has actually changed because of um, district uh, boundary changes, mm-hmm. um, where the incumbents just win over and over and over. I've never actually been in an election where it was even remotely plausible that my vote would make a difference, which might give me the luxury of being precious in a way that I wouldn't necessarily have if it was every vote could potentially count this year. But I I gotta say, I agree. Fundamentally, I agree with Ken. I will not, I will not put my vote with someone because I think you're the least bad option unless I can actually say on any level, I would put my name to this. Well, you know what? I think that we've actually reached an insoluble philosophical difference because fundamentally I think this comes down to uh, to what extent do you owe your society something more than you owe yourself as an individual and your own feelings as an individual? And I'm a I think conservative. That that is... I put me and my family first. And I'm but... a woman, so I guess I put my community first. No, uh, but no, but I mean, it's essentially, I think this is this is this is a philosophically unbridgeable difference, and I don't think that there's a right or wrong answer. Yeah, maybe. Um... There have been times where I've considered strategic voting. I have thought about like, uh, you know, like maybe can I spank this candidate this time by voting for whoever is in second place, something like mm-hmm. that. I was just talking with friends a couple of days ago about the Toronto mayoral election um, where it looks like Olivia Chow is cruising to a win with about 30% support. That's going to be uh, really funny. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be just a real hoot. Um Good luck with that, Toronto. Yeah, it's, uh, thanks. It's great We're, for you. It's gonna be, things are going to go fine. It's just like uh, some of the people Relax, I'm talking about. Relax, going to be fine. You're going to regret that. Um, <laughs> there are there are people I know talking about some sort of consolidate around second place campaign, mm-hmm. which is basically a week out from the election, figure out who's in second and throw everything behind that person to block Chow. Mm-hmm. and yeah okay like i again i understand strategic voting i understand why people would want to think that but what if i don't like the second place person well i don't want to i don't want to have a can, hand in them winning you, then you can have a hand in olivia chow winning and good luck with that have fun Whee! all the choices suck um that's because we live in a broken country well let's talk about that um <laughs> I'm not ready yet to declare on this because let me wait. Let me you you know the backdrop here. Let me give uh, the uh, the listeners and the viewers the backdrop. I read a really interesting column a few days ago, and uh, let me let me open with a disclosure. Uh, Anthony Fury, uh, formerly of Post Media, is running to be the mayor of Toronto, and Anthony and I, God, I've known him known him more than a decade, um, and we've always gotten along. We're we're not close friends or anything, but we've always gotten along. He was my uh, opposite at the Toronto Sun. He was the comment pages editor at the Toronto Sun when I was the comment pages editor at the National Post. And we kind of, like we ran fairly separate shops to an extent that I don't think people realize um, uh, the, the Sun media papers and the traditional post media broadsheets were um, very much in different chains of command. So Fury and I didn't overlap a lot, but God knows we, we've done radio panels together all, mm-hmm. like, all over the place. Yeah, it's, I know the media guy. is small. Everybody yeah. knows each other. And I, I've always gotten along with him. And he, mm-hmm. he's running in this election. Um, I don't want to call it a far right, but 
he he's running very much from the right. Like we're going to clean up the city. We're going to throw the bums out. We're going to, we're going to fix what's broken. And Ed Keenan in the Toronto star in keeping with Toronto being like the Canadian media being tiny, also a guy I know and like, Mm -hmm. I got a column this week where Ed was kind of saying, you know what? I know fury like the same thing. And I'm, I would never vote for him here. I don't want to recap Ed's column against uh, Anthony. Like that's if if you're interested in it, you can go find it yourself. What I thought was interesting about Ed's column is that Ed was noticing that Anthony's polls are rising, and a month ago, Fury was dead in the polls. Like he mm-hmm. he was he was not even one of the guys the polling companies were tracking because there's over a hundred candidates. And yeah. uh, Andrew, Andrew Timothy wrote about that uh, a few days ago for us. Um, so the polling companies are only kind of looking at the top six or the top ten. Yeah, it makes sense. And Fury wasn't even wasn't in that a month ago. Now he is. Now mm-hmm. he's kind of really cracked into that. Um, he's still way behind Chow, but he's come way up. Mm-hmm. And Ed in the Star was kind of wondering why. And he wrote this he's column late. where he uh, kind of said, you know, he he acknowledged knowing Anthony the same way I have. Um, he said he would never vote for him because their politics are too different. But then Ed kind of asked, why uh, Why is he gaining support? And he made some of the comments that I think are broadly representative of what cent- center or left-leaning people think when they see a conservative succeeding. Ed talked about the fact that Anthony's getting kind of nudge-nudge, wink-wink support from old Sun Media colleagues. He's getting perhaps more, like, he's getting talked about more on talk radio or in, or in the Sun papers than a candidate polling at, like, 4% probably should have. And now he's polling mm-hmm. at 10%. Mm-hmm. He also talked about, um, uh, Ed did, the kind of the, um, the corrosive impact of uh, decades of anti-government uh, rhetoric and how a guy on the outside, like Anthony, can come up and go, we're going to sweep the bums out. And there's a ready-made audience for that. He talked about political polarization. He talked about social media. And I'm reading the column. I'm thinking, Ed, you're a smart guy. Please don't make the mistake you're about to, I, th- I think you're about to make. Please don't make the mistake. Please- oh, you made the mistake. <laughs> his column ends. And what Ed, who is a thought, smartful guy, I read his column. He's not blind to these problems. But the thing he never mentioned in his column about why Anthony Fury might be succeeding is because Fury has a fucking point. <laughs> And it, this is not an endorsement because I don't know who yet I'm going to vote for, but I, I suspect it won't be for Fury because I, I'm skeptical of former columnists becoming politicians. Let's just say I know the type. <laughs> yeah, we we know we know enough about our own. Yeah, exactly. Um, but but like, I think if you are someone in in the in the center of Canadian politics, or if you're even leaning to the progressive left. And your explanation for every conservative success is like disinformation, anti-government rhetoric, polarization, radicalization. And it never occurs to you that might also be a reflection of repeated government failure. I, I don't know what the fuck you're thinking. And I, I, like I said to you at the start, I'm not ready to kind of pronounce on this fully because I've been sketching out this week. I'm going to write about this next week for us. But I've been sketching out uh, just on my my uh, notepad here, which the CGI is blanking out. What what are some of the broad indicators of the health of a city that we could track? And I looked at mm-hmm. Toronto police crime statistics mm-hmm. in almost every category, with the notable and interesting exception of homicide. They're way up. Mm-hmm. Over over looking back five years, which is sort of what the Toronto Police Service um, 
they update every week and they do a year over year read. How are mm-hmm. we doing on stabbings? How are we doing on assaults? How are we doing on robberies? Homicide's the only one that's down. And it's down just like there's not a ton of people getting murdered in Toronto all the time. So the numbers are susceptible to big swings. And yeah, yeah. Uh, one one shootout is going to swing the numbers in a big yeah. way. Remember, the summer of the gun was basically yeah. one gang war. Yeah, basically. Yeah. But uh, all of our crime indicators are moving in the wrong direction. And then I looked at homelessness and homelessness is tricky to track because what we what we really do track is shelter occupancy but the thing is, the shelters are always 100% full. So right. you've kind of got to look at other metrics or talk to other experts. But there is no one in Toronto right now who does not think that homelessness is worse. And what's happening is that, like, if you look at the year-over-year stats on homeless shelter occupancy, it's always fucking 100%. But mm-hmm. what's happening now is that there's a lot of people who aren't in the shelters. Yeah, they're, they're just unhoused. Yeah. They're just under bridges. They're they're in abandoned buildings. They're in parks. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's and that where, population is notoriously hard to track. Yeah, but we know it's up. Like every indicator yeah. is telling us it's up. And every everyone out there on the front lines is telling us it's up. I looked at overdose deaths. Overdose deaths uh are were down last year, but they were down from a massive surge in the early part of the pandemic. And right. even being down last year is 60% higher than 2018. Right. Um, I looked at the Toronto Transit Commission uh, stats, which track things like violent incidents on the TTC. You you kind of have to you, you need to set your parameters pretty closely there because in some categories uh, they're down. But broadly speaking, uh, violent incidents against both passengers and staff are way up. And I'm I'm looking at all of this, and I'm I'm just thinking like Ed. Ed lives in the city. He's a smart guy. He writes about these issues. There is no one in Toronto right now who's arguing that things are going well. And I haven't even touched on things like traffic congestion, state of good repair, uh, general wear and tear on, on city-owned resources, access to services, uh, even something as simple as property taxes going up, which you can make mm-hmm. an argument for or against in terms of public policy, but it's going to piss people off even if it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Nowhere in Ed's column is there any acknowledgement that a guy who comes in from the outside and goes sweep the bums out, simple law and order based solutions, let's clean up the town. Guys like that don't succeed if people aren't angry about something. And it doesn't matter if he's offering real solutions or if that the anger is going to a healthy place. It has to be part of your understanding about why it's happening. So what I'm going to have ready for sometime next week is going to be a column where I'm pulling together Toronto metrics are we heading in the right direction or not again i'm not voting anthony fury i would never i don't vote for columnists because we're broken in very similar ways but if politicians are also broken in not so dissimilar ways um the the other thing i would just observe about all this is that i think this is one of the the i don't know it's a weird tick of progressive politics and maybe it's because progressive politics is disproportionately um assigned to people who are uh, urban and educated is that uh, for a lot of people in that situation, politics is all an abstraction, mm. right? If something's happening that they don't like, there's an ideological reason for it. It's, it's you know, they themselves are very rarely affected by crime. They're disproportionately less likely to be affected because they're not poor, right? Um, you know, most progressive, I mean, generally speaking, I'm saying very much in generalities, they tend to be wealthier. That means they're less likely to be victims of crime. 
So they're a little bit more insulated from hard realities of the harder realities of life and the environments in which they live, which gives them the, uh, um, uh, it, it puts people like Keenan in a position where they have the luxury of abstraction, where a politics isn't something that's felt, it's something that can be analyzed like a bug under a microscope. Um, you know, if you're actually taking the TTC every day and you're dealing with the crazies, it's a different conversation. Your, your, your politics is much more personal. It's much more visceral. Um, so, I mean, you can talk about disinformation, misinformation, all these things that are beautifully abstract and can be studied from, uh, cleanly from a distance, right? Which is why this set tends to focus on these issues disproportionately or money in politics, whatever. Again, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing a nerd likes better than to go through a database and does a, mm. do, do a database analysis, right? Like I've um, been doing with Toronto's health metrics. Well, that, you know, that's right. That's exactly right. But I mean, like, or, or, or things of that nature. It's, 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 it's a natural thing to go to the abstract um, when you are of a particular social status class and political persuasion. Mm -hmm. um, for most people, this is where the disconnect between the elites and the non-elites kind of comes in. Yep. Because for most the people, guy talking about what's happening on the subway versus the guy riding it. Yeah, essentially for most people who who aren't of the quote-unquote elites, and don't, when I talk about elite, I'm not just talking about rich people here. I'm talking about people who are uh, have have social capital. Mm -hmm. So journalists, we're elites. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, it doesn't matter how much we get paid. That's We have social capital that ordinary people don't have. I would like to get paid more, but yes, I take uh, it. Fair enough, yes. Um, but this is one thing that we, we are frequently disconnected from. And as a result, we don't feel politics in the same way that, uh, you know, your average voter does. Your average voter is not making, you know, rational dis, dis, disinterested choices based on a cold analysis of platforms or facts. They're like, things don't feel right right now. I don't feel safe getting on the subway. Yeah. I don't yeah, like, or, no, I agree or, or from the left, they're making, they're making this... I don't like the way that the left is talking and, and and behaving on this particular issue. That makes me feel bad. I'm going to vote for the conservative. Um, most of politics is purely emotional, purely visceral. And that puts people like you and, and Keenan and, and to, to some extent me, because I'm more excitable than you are, but to a lesser extent me in, in this really interesting and, and probably useless position, because we're analyzing these issues and topics from a thousand feet down and we're not feeling them in the same way. One of the things I've, I've always found interesting about this, and this might be a career advantage, but it has probably been personally off-putting to other people is that I'm pretty open about viewing all of you like interesting bugs. <laughs> yep. um, and I remember someone telling me once, well, that's easy for you to say living in your wealthy community with your cottage to go to and you can avoid all these problems. It must be fascinating for you to just look on all our little problems like it's a data set. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And I, 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 someone told me to check my privilege once and I just told him it's right where I left it. I can't be ashamed about these things. Like I, I do view these things very much in abstract terms, but I try to remember that I do. <laughs> Well, and um, this is this is, I think, one of the key personality difference between you and I is that uh, I'm I I live in a I mean I think we would be very similar in the Myra Briggs personality test, but there's one one of those particular metrics where the feeling or perception I'm very empathetic. I know people don't agree, don't necessarily agree with this. I'm very empathetic. I feel what other people are feeling. Hey, and I'm my Myers Briggs. I'm actually an F. Really? Mm -hmm. Well, then maybe we're the same. Um, but 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 I, I navigate a lot of my analysis from my heart first, mm -hmm. right? Like, what are people feeling? 
you know, and sometimes that leads me wrong, but sometimes it doesn't, right? I'm empathetic with a person, but pretty Vulcan with a society. Mm. Um, but I, I just think, you know, one of the interesting things this week, and I've told you this off the air already, and you were amused by this, but I'll tell the listeners and viewers this now. Well, first of all, earlier this week, one of my one of my best and oldest friends had an unusual incident uh, at work where a homeless person was just in his office. Mm-hmm. And was, you know, was removed and everything was okay. But like my buddy was like, well, that was strange. And then shortly thereafter that, I think either the same day or day after, uh, I had, um, I guess, I don't want to make it sound like I'm mocking the person because that would, that would obviously be cruel. But I had a very strange encounter with an individual in, in Toronto. And I... The only possible explanation I can give of the incident was that this person, either I was on some sort of candid camera prank show that no one had me sign a waiver for, or I was dealing with someone who is um, not entirely of sound mind. Uh, I I had an encounter with someone who was behaving extremely bizarrely. And I just kind of shook it off. I was like, well, that was weird. And like my buddy was like, well, I guess we need key fobs in the office now. Like we we kind of had very rational reactions to this. But if you are riding the subway to work and there's a guy on the train who is having like who's just screaming incoherently, that's gonna shit change your politics. Mm-hmm. And it might not be at a at a deeply thought out, I'm going to become informed about the issues and learn what more we can do about these systemic multi-causal issues. You might just go, yeah, that fucking sucked, and I never want to do that again. And then you see some YouTube clip of a guy going, I'm going to clean up the streets. And you go, cool. And I think I agree with you. Um, I don't know enough about Ed, Ed's personal life to to say, I don't know, maybe he no, lives in a really crime-infested area. I, I, I agree totally with you wrong. on the I'm, I'm saying, generally speaking, yeah. this is the fundamental failure of the elites, is that we don't feel through problems in the same way that ordinary people feel through problems. And it disconnects us. And we're, problems that and that would be okay i think to an extent probably not ideal but it would be okay if you were at least honest with yourself enough yes, not necessarily you, your you, podcast you, listeners to go yes i do view all of you as interesting data sets yeah, you need you need to be you need to be self-aware of that fact and too many people simply aren't they think no i'm right and i'm going to tell you stupid insects what the correct answer is and i'm going to use my my platform my media blah 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 to 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 brainwash you or inculcate you with the right answer. I think it's also that's yeah. deadly yes. wrong approach. I think to people, to humanity, and to 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 the job. But hey, you do you. I think there's another element to it though, and I I you're, I don't think you're wrong, but I think I would add to that. There's also I'm how many times have we heard some variation of this from someone who's either in the center or the or the left? I cannot believe these people keep voting against their own interests. Mm-hmm. as if i am the arbiter of their interests. of what their interests are or what should be the top priority in their life yeah because you know better and you don't understand that there are in fact a lot of reasons why people vote the way they do and it could be as simple as once having been really fucking put off by someone saying why aren't you voting for your interests and going well i think you're an arrogant smug asshole and i'm never voting for you and that becomes a lifelong voting pattern because it doesn't take the long this long for things to get established. You know, we had um I think I think the election in Alberta had just a few days ago as an example of this. The result was fairly pre- 
predictable. I yeah, think. it wasn't. It wasn't a surprising result. And also, yeah. again, from the Navigator data, most people made up their mind before the election. The election actually didn't sway any minds. And um, you know, like, but I I saw some smart people who were shocked by the outcome here because they mm-hmm. were really emotionally invested in Rachel Notley winning. Mm-hmm. And I remember during the uh, the Ontario election, which was almost a year ago, kind of um, almost within a couple of weeks of the one-year anniversary of this, looking at poll after poll after poll, which never really moved, showing that Doug Ford was cruising towards a crushing re-election. And there were people who were shocked by that. And it's just this really interesting thing, which is like, there's this mental block people have, and it's not absent on the right, but I think it's manifesting more right now on the Canadian center or left. Mm-hmm. Which is oh yeah the the, the right I would never has vote for own, this person. How can the, someone else? The right has its own issues. We've talked about them at length. So don't, um, don't. the right's issue, I think, is particularly where they cannot imagine why anyone would ever vote for Justin Trudeau. And I don't mean yeah. that in that they think people should vote for him. I mean they cannot. They cannot vote. fathom why they yes. why other people why someone can't might. see yeah. what they can see. Yeah, yeah, and that's I think that has been something that has been blinding them. Uh, for a while can't you see what an absolute tool this guy is what is your problem what is wrong with you yeah and i you know i think to a certain extent um that's probably how trudeau ended up being elected in the first place i don't think the conservatives Mm. took him seriously until he handed them uh their lunch lunch. yeah but i i just think again there's this weird expectation among a lot of the kind of the center of the left more so i would say more so the 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 progressive uh meant which is that this will be the election where the people will vote for the rational policy yeah. solution to this intractable social well, ill. And they'll never also, occur to them that there's people out there who vote Doug Ford today because 15 years ago, then councillor Rob Ford helped them with the trash pickup. Well, and also that's, that's not, the left is not the sole arbiter of rational, of rational policy making. Well, like that's the other that. problem. Oh, it, like, I'm sorry, but like, if you're on the left and you're in the progressive and you're an egghead, your assumption is that you know best what the best, what the only solutions are to some of these 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 um, uh, policy, these major social complicated social policy problems, and oftentimes you don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so many people are, rely on frankly shit data, shit science, and shit studies, but they but they and then they hide their their totally ideologically driven rhetoric under the the guise of evidence based reasoning or evidence-based policy and it's not it just and isn't then, and then we're shocked when yeah every almost every violent crime indicator is up overdose <laughs> deaths are up yeah your column a few weeks ago uh, in a different context actually is really this what, meaningfully, is this what failure looks like yeah yeah but i i think i would even phrase it differently than that because you asked the question is this what failure looks like i posed a similar version of that question this week which was the opposite which is can someone please tell me what we're trying to do and it was okay. also on the issue. It was it was an Ontario story, so it wasn't related to the Vancouver stuff that you'd been writing about. But it was also on drug policy, which is I just want someone to tell me. And I wasn't even like I wasn't fighting. It was like, is anyone in a position of authority able to tell me what what the goal is here? Do we have one? Yeah. Is is the goal um, 
is it fewer overdose deaths? Is it uh, getting more people into treatment? Is it no? It's 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 safe supply because safe supply is the answer. Don't you understand? It's all circular logic. It's circular yeah. reasoning. And safe, if... the science shows us that safe supply is the correct answer to the problem of drugs, so safe supply is obviously the answer. And, and we'll if... know we we will know we'll have succeeded when we have safe supply. And then, and, and in the meantime, people who question that just want to see addicts dead in parks. You're just, you've just been misinformed by disinformation. Why don't you vote in your own interests, which in this case is obviously safe supply. And then there's more, you know, again, like I, I've lived in Toronto or, or in its 905 suburbs my entire life. Um, and the, the part, the area of the city I live in is not the kind of place where we're dealing with a lot of needles and parks. Um, there are, we're like, I'm, I'm in the more suburban midtown area and those problems have traditionally been a bit more in the downtown core, but actually just seeing outright drug paraphernalia on the streets, even in downtown areas where you'd kind of always see some of that, you're seeing more of it. And I was saying to someone yesterday that- That's just conservative propaganda, Matt. What Toronto is dealing with now is not unprecedented for Toronto, but we're dealing with more of it, and it's popping up in areas where it didn't used to be. And I, I might have mentioned this. I don't know if I told you this or not on our last podcast, but um, my my son, uh, as, as you know, he plays hockey, and I recently found a homeless guy living in a tent between the two snowbanks left by the Zamboni in a part of the city where you never would have seen homeless before. Hmm. And... The, even in, in my neighborhood, which, again, is a little bit isolated from these problems, we used to have, like, a homeless guy. Now we have a, a couple of homeless guys, and they don't always get along with each other. Hmm. Um, have I seen crazy people in Toronto before? Yeah. Have I ever had an encounter like I had just a couple of days ago? No. Um, yeah, and I just think... I don't know. I'm not sure I disagree with Ed Keenan about misinformation and self-reinforcing no, social media echo that's, chambers that's, and all that that's stuff that's the thing is that like it's i don't disagree with missing. that yeah i don't even disagree that all of this stuff is active and part of the conversation and the echo chambers are part of this conversation but again misinformation and echo chambers are not confined to the conservatives mm. they're not only utilized by the conservatives like let's let's get out and get out pull your head a little bit out of your ass here and also, the other interesting thing about echo chambers and moral panics and hysterias is that they're never rooted in fantasy. They don't work if they're totally rooted in fantasy. Anthony you know, Fury's not running on a unicorn cull. No. Like, there's a, there's a reason why these messages work and are effective when they are. And often it's because, however amplified or perhaps even exaggerated, some of the echo chamber and disinformation stuff is happening, it's not made up. I had a, an opportunity recently, I have to be, I, I can't put everything on the record here, but I did have an opportunity recently to have an interesting conversation with someone who's very much on the front lines of uh, the addictions crisis in the city of Toronto uh, and, some of, and some of the surrounding areas as well, uh, not limited to the 416. And it's it's never been worse. Big surprise. But you bring that up and well it's uh, people don't want to talk about that they want to talk about they want to talk about um ecosystems and and stuff like that and i honestly believe more than needles and buses or playgrounds or more than violence on the subway and and things like that 
I really think what radicalizes people is when they see they when they see smart people refusing to talk about the things that are just plain. Oh God, yes. To, to our, our our eyes here. Yeah. So because there's nothing that actually break. You can talk. There's nothing that breaks down trust than when your experts are saying things that you know are categorically false, or are refusing to talk about the things. Or refusing that are to talk about the things that are obvious. Yeah. Like there's there's nothing that will break I think down. It's more the and, latter. Yeah, I think you're right. Um. Like yeah, I mean, have I seen like a, like needles on the bus before? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I ride transit in one of North America's largest cities. I see weird shit when you're doing that. Have I seen violence before? Yeah, of course. I've seen bar fights. I've seen people get like, smashed up. But it, there's just more, and it's not an unreasonable thing to want to talk about that. And to the extent we talk about it at all, we smother it in nuance, which mm. is. Well, you know, it's a, it's a complicated multi-systemic issue. Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, like every reasonable person understands that. But what does failure look like and what does success look like here? No one wants to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And someone sooner or later comes along and goes, I'm an outsider. I'm going to fix it by putting cops on every corner. We're going to clean the parks and we're going to double security on the transit system. And if that's the only fucking person talking Who's about talking it, that about person's going to do okay. Yep. That's right. So anyway, I... Anyway, and that's and that's the good solution because things only get darker from there, but we don't need to get into that. Well, if that doesn't work, that's when someone else comes along and goes, well, that didn't work. So I'm going to, I'm going to shoot the bastards. Yeah. Essentially this gets, this gets, this, this goes outside the institutional pathways. So I anyway, would believe, um, and I, maybe I should, you know what? You just gave me an interesting idea. I'm going to dare throw myself into the maw of the Toronto Police Service's media response machine, which is effectively to say I'm going to have a frustrating next few days. Remember the, that, when was it like last month that um, guy on the New York subway was killed? Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's been an uptick in attacks on homeless people in Toronto. Anecdotally, mm. there have been reports about that. Like it's been mm. in the news, but I wonder if... I. I I just would worry that the Toronto police might not actually break down their reported crime statistics in a way that you can kind of just pull that information out. Hmm. But I'll ask. Well, you will ask. Anyway, we should probably put a pin in that because we've been rambling on. Yep. Okay. Well, cool. that, that was that was a, a typically uplifting podcast. Uh, <laughs> I hope you have a wonderful weekend. You too.